sometimes it was six months, sometimes it was eight months. But when it happened, the light bulbs went on in the eyes of the people who worked for him. They said, oh my God, you were right. It might not have been the right time, but the fact that it was in fact a good idea and I really believed in it, by me being patient, it allowed this idea or this uh, recommendation to come to fruition. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. I am thrilled to be able to introduce you to our guest, uh, friend of the show, previous guest on the show, uh, New York Times bestselling author Kevin Cruz described our guest today as a fresh voice among the usual author guru crowd. Why is that? I agree with that, by the way, but why? He brings the credibility of someone who's made a living doing all the things we're talking about in the leadership context, not just telling other people. Uh, and the book that we're going to be discussing today, uh, you're going to find out it's called The 12-Inch Rule, but it's very research-based, looking at what people are actually doing. And at least for myself, I find an incredible amount of hope in this book and in the approach to leadership that our guest is going to share with us today. His name is Dr. Kaleem Islam. He's a former Wall Street executive, where for over 20 years he led global learning businesses. Some of the teams under his direction have all kinds of awards. They were named Learning Elite Organizations by Chief Learning Officer Magazine, won the International Society for Technical Communications Awards for Innovative Learning Content, uh, cited by HR futurist Josh Burson in one of his books as the best practice learning organizations you can find. and. Uh, Dr. Kaleem's written thousands of industry and academic articles, number of books focused on leadership, strategy, organizational development, training and development. And his most recent book, The 12-Inch Rule of Leadership, highlights how you, regardless of your industry, can achieve the leadership and career success that you're looking for. And when we say regardless of industry, you'll see in the book, there are examples from government, higher education, K-12, entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, you've got all kinds of different industries represented here. Currently an assistant professor of practice at Southern Illinois University, also runs a boutique consulting firm, the Training Pro Academy, where he helps leaders reach their potential and communicate their value. Kaleem, with all of those things going on, I don't know how you even have time to talk with us today, but I am ecstatic. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Hey, thanks, Dave. And let me tell you, I'm so excited to be here, right? So I've been listening to your podcast uh, for a while, right? And, and your mission, uh, so to speak, to provide a practical leadership inspiration tools and strategies uh, to help leaders. And this is the, the, the big point, right? To achieve transformational results without sacrificing, right, their humanity is really in sync with, with, with how I look at um, leadership. And I, I say it a little bit differently. I speak about sort of values-based leadership or, or focusing on your, on your true north, so, so to speak. So, uh, and that's what the most recent book speaks to. So thank you so much for, uh, for having me. Absolutely. No, we, we are incredibly aligned, loved the book, and I can't wait to get into it. But I know that you've listened to the show. So, <laughs> you know, I have to ask you first, uh, Kaleem, can you tell us about your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I've got to sort of uh, uh, channel my inner Steve Jobs, so to speak, that you got to connect the dots going backwards, so not, um, not going forward. And, you know, I always found myself in, in leadership positions, whether it's being the um, troop leader in the Boy Scouts, the uh, sort of captain of the track team when I was in college, the president of the Black <laughs> Student Union, <laughs> um, 
uh, when I was in college or when I was in the military being a green rope or peer leader when, um, when we were going through uh, after basic training, military folks go through technical school and I was a green rope or, 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 or a peer leader. And I, I think it, and I wasn't always a good leader, quite frankly, and sometimes I was a really bad leader, but I was always in leadership uh, positions. And I, I think it was because I always had some level of charisma. I was always willing to sort of be out in front. Um, I was always uh, results oriented and I was willing to take, take risks. So, so for some reason, I was always in a leadership position and it wasn't until later in life that I was able to connect the dots backwards to understand uh, why it was. And, and then once I was able to connect the dots, I really started to become a more, much more effective leader. And you know, I, I think as you mentioned in the introduction, um, you know, so some of these awards and, and, and accolades came, but I, I think it was, was because you know, I, I figured it out that as a leader, your job is to serve others. Your job is to help people. And, and when, I, when I figured that out, that my job every day was to help people reach their dreams, achieve their goals, you know, and whether that goal was, hey, I want to stay in your organization and, 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 and get promoted, or whether that goal, that life plan was to, was, to, was to go somewhere else, my job was to help them do that. And believe me, when I started doing that, and that was my, the thing, uh, sort of my goal every day, uh, you know, things changed dramatically. Fantastic. You know, as, as I listen to you talk, it, I realize we have a couple of things in common, uh, more, maybe more than a couple, but two of the things we have in common, we were both leaders in Boy Scouts as, as young people. So those were early leadership experiences. But another thing we have in common, we were bad leaders at times at our youth. <laughs> very bad, very bad sometimes, quite frankly. But you were, but hey, and I'm going to speak for myself here. You were trying. You yeah. were trying. And that's how we learn. I mean, obviously, we can shorten our learning curve with books like yours, but better to put ourselves in motion and start somewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the book then. So the 12-inch rule of leadership, proven strategies for career success. So we're going to start with the obvious question here, the 12-inch rule. There's a history here. It's a fascinating history. I was completely unfamiliar with it, and I'd love for you to talk to us. Uh, we'll get into what the rule is, but where did it come from? The 12-inch rule, I'm a member of a, um, a historically Black fraternity, uh, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. And I'm sure all of the fraternities and sororities ha have it. So, you know, in order to become a member, there are certain things you have to learn. And you know, about 40 years ago when I was joining, hazing was a big deal, right? So if you didn't, if you didn't learn it, you got hazed, right? So I memorized it. But it's something that uh, Sigma men use to measure themselves. And the 12-inch rule are... 12, basically 12 principles, time, value, best performance of duty, perseverance, the worth of example, the virtue of pay, patience, talent, expression, economic wisdom, the value of character, kindly attitudes, pleasure in work, the worth of organization, the dignity and simplicity. Now, I can't tell you what I have for breakfast this morning, <laughs> <laughs> but after 40 years, I, I still remember those things. And, uh, and I remember the people that I met as, as part of the fraternity. So you fast forward five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, as I would run into members, I started to notice that these folks would fall into two camps. You had the folks who, like me, could just rattle it off. And then you had the folks who would say, hey, that's a long time ago. I don't remember that stuff. And my observation was that the people who could remember it, could rattle it off, their careers were, uh, their career um, trajectory was steep. Whereas the other ones, not that they didn't, didn't have successful careers, but they didn't seem to advance as quickly. And I said, wow, this is, I think there's something to this. 
So the, the academic in me, the, the researcher in me says, I need to understand this. Um, so I set out to do a, what's called a phenomenological, a qualitative phenomenological study. I wanted to understand the lived experiences of people who uh, were trained in this 12 inch rule. And after about the third interview, I said, oh my God, this is phenomenal. And this is something that cannot be just hidden in an academic publication somewhere. This has got to be uh, uh, made available to the masses because I think it can help some people. So we pretty much stopped on a dime and, and switched directions in terms of, of what we were doing. Uh, but the 12 inch rule comes from the fraternal experience. Um, it's something that, that you know, I had to learn when I was joining fraternity you know, over 40 years ago when I was um, an undergrad in college. And a couple of things that I uh, want to highlight there. One is the way that, you know, you took your lived experience, saw what was going on, and then you took your, your PhD research chops to say, I got to understand this and yeah. investigate this. And, and you brought that level of rigor and academic uh, approach to studying what you were seeing. And then as you were discovered, wow, there really is what I thought was here as we're putting all this together. Okay, wait a minute there is huge value here for all of us. So I'm glad that, that you and, and you were sharing with me, you had some friends who influenced that and some different folks who said, hey, you got to get this out there. So that I'm glad you did. You know, the, uh, oh, you were reminding me of something else when you were you were sharing about the, the lived experience. It was the internalization. You know, the way that you were describing, there were some people who, and you still have it, obviously it's like, it's internalized in you. You could wake you up in the middle of the night. You could recite those 12 principles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and other people didn't. And how often in our own leadership, when we're successful leading teams, we help our teams to internalize whatever those success behaviors are. Oh, so, oh can I jump in here? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I've got to tell you, um, one of the things I did with one of the, the teams that I led, and, and, it, and it paid off tremendously, is you know, I'm sort of a mission vision guy. And, and I really believe that, that if, you, if you point people in your job as a leader to some extent is to point people in the right direction and then get out their way, <laughs> you know, and let them do their, do their job. And so one of the, the best things that I did was um, we instilled a model uh, when I was um, at a from the Depository Trust and Clearing Corp Corporation, huge, um, Wall Street, huge in terms of influence, Wall Street firm. And our model was solving business issues with learning solutions. So anytime one of my direct reports, they'd come and you know, we'd have our one-on-one -on -one sessions, they would talk about what they did. I would always ask them, what business problem is this solving? Why are we doing this? And I would always tie it back to our mission, you know, our model, our, our vision, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Now I did this so much, you know, I would, and I would walk around with actually with, with cards. I had cards that were given out to everybody on one side had the mission, the other side had the vision and, and, and our little motto, solving business issues with learning solutions. And anytime, again, anytime someone would make a, tell me about what they did or brag about, you know, what problems that solve. So we were in a, in a meeting one time with my, my direct reports and I had, had a, I thought it was a pretty good idea. I said, hey, how about we do X, Y, Z? And they said to me, well, Colleen, you know, what business problem does that solve? <laughs> and I said, you know, guys, you're right. You're right. So when you ingrain that and people internalize it, right, it, it helps keep the people who 
work for you or who you work with. It helps keep them, you know, focused in the right direction, but it also keeps you focused in the right direction. And, and I think that, you know, as a leader, that's what you want because, you know, sometimes you get off track. Um, but had I not instilled or had I not ensured uh, that that philosophy was internalized in my organization, I might have gone off track. So it was, a, you know, it's, it's a tremendous thing that, to have that internalized. That is brilliant. So I, there's a couple things we got to stop and, and call out here for if you're listening and you're like, OK, you got several practical takeaways. First, that question that you asked your team so often that they had it ingrained, what business problem does this solve? Yes. So important. And that's a fantastic question, not just to ask your team, but to be asking yourself regularly, too. So in Courageous Cultures, our listeners will be familiar with, we have what we call the idea model is you're vetting and presenting ideas. And the I stands for interesting. How is this strategically relevant? Or in Kaleem's words, what business problem does it solve? <laughs> Such an important question for anything that you're doing. You want to have more influence managing up anywhere. What business problem does it solve? And then second is the fact that you're, and you, you ran through this, but the fact that your team said, hey, Kaleem, what business problem does this solve? There's a couple things going on there. One, yes, they had internalized it. But second, clearly they knew they had a leader who was humble enough to hear the truth back from his own team. And that's not always the case. And if we want high performing teams and to be operating at our best, bringing that level of humility to receive feedback from wherever it may come from is absolutely essential. So and it was a great example. I know that wasn't the point you were trying to make, but there was a fantastic example of that there. And I have to share with your listeners, I wasn't always that humble. Right. So I, I had to mature to the point where, where I was willing to accept that. So what got you there? What, how did, how did on your journey and your story, how did you get to where you could receive that kind of feedback from team members? Okay. Well, here, here, here we go. So I've always had high performing teams, right? Uh, and my vocation is sort of in the learning and development space. So I would say initially I had high performing teams by brute force. Um, since this is my, my vocation, I knew it inside and out. And I can tell well, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do um, the, the other thing. So my KPIs or key performance indicators were always good in terms of my organization's output. And I always had good uh, custom, customer survey scores. Now, I'm trying to think what year it was, but it's, at some point we started in, introducing 360 degree surveys scores and, um, you know, engagement scores, employee engagement scores, and leadership scores. And I remember the first year we did one, my leadership scores were, and employee engagement scores were in the toilet. And like a lot of leaders, I said, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to be friends with people that work for me, or do you want me to produce output? And my output is high, so pull, pull this other stuff, right? We did it the second year. Again, my KPIs were good, not as good as they were the year before, my employee engagement scores, leadership index scores were in the toilet. Now the third year, the proverbial mud hit the fan, <laughs> okay? My leadership and engagement scores were in the toilet and my KPIs were in the toilet. Mm. And I said, oh my God. I mean, I got the scores, Dave. I got the scores, got, got the email. I looked at it. I literally fell down in my seat said, oh my God, I'm gonna get fired. I literally sat there and looked at, looked at my phone, waiting for it to ring for them to say, you're out of here, buddy. 
Um, but they didn't do that. They gave me a, uh, they gave me a coach uh, because my boss saw something in me. So they gave me a coach to, um, to help me. I said, well, I got to do something different. And we did. I sort of adopted a, a values-based approach to, um, uh, to leadership. Uh, like we said, hey, point the direction, uh, get out the way. Uh, so the next year, uh, both scores were a little bit better, but not significantly better. We were in the fourth quartile, you know, yet again. So two years in a row, I was in the fourth quartile. I said, oh, man. Now, something happened the next year we did it. The scores came in, and we, we literally went from the fourth quartile to the first. My teams, my organization, literally had the best employee engagement and leadership scores in the company. And uh, my KPIs were back you know, to the point at, at world-class levels. So it, it was that sort of, uh, sort of uh, moment of truth. Mm. So to speak, you had to look yourself in the mirror and say, man, if I, if I don't change, you know, I might not have a job. Um, so that, that was the burning platform that caused me to make, to make the change. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I appreciate that vulnerability. Uh, boy, I look at my own career in those moments, they're not pleasant, but there are opportunities to learn and be better, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So taking that journey and then doing the work that you did around the 12 behaviors and the 12 inch rule, time value, performance of duty, perseverance, worth of example, virtue of patience, talent expression, economic wisdom, value of character, kindly attitudes, pleasure in work, worth of organization, dignity of simplicity. Now, obviously in the time we have to together today, we're not gonna be able to go through all 12, but I would love to have you share uh, some about uh, several of these and you know the some of them that stood out to me hey i want to address them as a whole so just as a whole this is human-centered approach to leadership um and, and i'll be honest when i first read them in, in transparency vulnerability i read you know i looked through the table of contents and i'm going okay okay yeah those are nice yeah you know and i'm all about values-based human-centered leadership thinking okay but is there meat here like, is this really, is this leadership or is this nice fluffy ideas? And, and reader, listener, I got to tell you, you want to get this book and you want to dive in because there's an incredible amount of meat. So just to draw out a little bit of this, um, let's, let's start with the virtue of patience. Um, dive into several here. This is number one, two, three, four, five, six, looks like virtue of patience, because it's not a virtue that we typically think of in at least United States capitalist-based leaders. How do you see, how, in your research, how did you see that showing up in successful leaders? In a, in a couple of ways. So we have one story, I think, um, uh, good friend of mine, uh, Michael Dove, and, and he is a vice president at uh, PCSU. Um, and he talked about coming into an organization and bringing an approach that he used at a, at a previous organization that, that he, um, he worked with. And a lot of times his direct reports would get frustrated because they would put ideas out there and the organization wouldn't work on the idea. And what he had to do was tell them, don't worry about it. They're gonna come back to it. They're gonna come back to it. At some point, if this is a good idea, we might not use it now, but the organization will, will use it later. And what he had them do was, you know, rather than discard whatever their recommendation was, he said, no, put it in a folder somewhere, 
right? So that when they come back to it, you can pull it out. So what he said, probably sometime it was six months, sometime it was eight months, but when it happened, you know, the light bulbs went on in the eyes of the people who work for him. They said, oh my God, you were right. Um, it might not have been the right time, but the fact that it was in fact a good idea and I really believed in it, by me being patient, it allowed this idea or this uh, recommendation to come to fruition, right? Uh, so just by building that into his organization, his team began to calm down. And actually, um, we had a private conversation. Uh, his turnover diminished significantly. Mm. So a lot of people used to leave his organization because they put an idea out there. They felt they weren't, they weren't being, being heard. Uh, they weren't getting their way and they, you know, they, they were out the door. Um, it's something that I would always do with, with my team. I told them, hey, listen, if you believe that something is right, if you believe it's going to add value, don't give up. You know, keep bringing it up. And I'll tell another story. I had a, I had a team. We had satellite operations in different, um, in different offices. Uh, we were budget constrained. And, but we wanted to do, do a bunch of video stuff, video, video training. So, you know, you know, my thoughts were, listen, guys, everyone has an iPhone. Just, just, just do the video with your iPhone. You know, it's not a big deal. We don't have budget. Let's do it. Just do it that way. Now, a group of my, it wasn't even my direct reports. It was maybe two or three levels down below me. They said, no, we can't do it this way. We have to have consistency across, across the organization. I said, no, guys, budget, budget, budget. Um, I said, but if you believe it, keep bringing it up. It took two years. It took two years. Um, but after two years, you know, they were right. And I was wrong. Mm. Right. I said, you know, and so what I did, I took out my iPhone and I made a video and I, I said, hey, listen, guys, you know, you know, James and, and Jason and, and, uh, and Valtina have been saying for two years that we need this. And I've been saying, no, 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 no. They were right. I was wrong. We're going to make the investment. I sent it out to the, I sent it out to the whole organization. <laughs> oh, that is so beautiful. Again, the, the, you know, that humility lesson, you got that one, boy. I'll tell you what, that's, oh, I, I, I got know, a better one. I aspire to that, man. That's awesome. I, uh, no, no, I, I, I've got a better one. And this is not necessarily the virtue of patience, but it's about, I think, um, uh, humility. At some point, I wasn't feeling that, like I was getting unfiltered feedback um, from my team. Again, I had one-on-ones, I had skip level meetings, all the things that, that, that leaders are supposed to, supposed to do. But I didn't feel that, that folks were giving it to me straight. Mm -hmm. And I would always have meeting, uh, skip level meetings. I would always say, hey, what can I, I would always end the meetings with, hey, what can I do better? What do I need to stop doing? And I, you know, they would say things here and there, but nothing really significant. Finally, you know, I, I had one of my skip level meetings and uh, Valtina Sylvain, I'll never, I'll never forget this, um, was she was courageous. So I said, well, Valtina, what can I do better? And she said, Kaleem, you know, I know that you, you sort of come out into the bullpen, so to speak, and you, you, you speak with us and ask us how, you know, how we're doing and you ask us these things but it takes us away from work because you're the boss. And even though you say that we can say no, or I'm busy, I got to do something else because you're the boss, no one's going to do that. I said, okay, thank you. And at that time I would do sort of weekly videos to my, to my global team to let everyone know what was going on. And um, so I said, hey, listen, I, I want to thank Valtina. She was so courageous. 
she came in, she let me know that this thing was bothering you guys. So um, I'm going to stop doing it. And at any time that I do it, you got to let me know because, you know, it's a habit I'm trying to, to, to break. Okay. Well, my next skip level meeting with someone else, they came with a long laundry list <laughs> of things that I needed, needed to do better. So every skip, every skip level meeting, you know, I'm hearing. Now, the good news is now I started getting unfiltered feedback. People felt confident they, they can come to me and tell me everything. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I would let them know, listen, I'll listen to you. And if we can't do it, I'll say we can. I'll, I'll let you know why we can't. And it might be, okay, it's a good idea, but not good now. Or, you know, it's something we're just not going to do, but you deserve an ex explanation. And believe me, that just opened up the floodgates of communication up, down, and sideways throughout the entire, the entire organization. Such a great example of uh, what we call in courageous cultures, we call it respond with regard. So as you're receiving feedback, good, bad, indifferent, wrong, right, whatever, the fact that they took the time and had the courage to share something, we want to validate that. You get more of what we encourage. And that's a great example of that. It's so beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing that with us, Colleen. You know, when you were talking about patience, you reminded me of myself early in my career. I mean, young 20s, right out of grad school. Uh, joined this organization and, you know, the web was fairly new at that point. And I, I saw an opportunity that, boy, we have so many applications here and, and no one else was going to do it again. Low budget said, oh, I'll do it. So I went and built, you know, I, I taught myself the HT. I didn't know how to do it. Yet, so I taught it all, I taught myself how to do it all like evenings and weekends. I just, you know, full of vim and vigor and energy. Uh, now I'm like, well, what was I thinking? And I built this whole platform and I, brought it to the executive vice president, Jim. I said, look at what I, we can do, everybody can, and, and can I do a training on this? I'll show everybody how to use it. It's free, like everybody can just use it. And he just laughed. He was a guy from Iowa, a little slower pace. He talked about pages. He said, David, this is, this is great. This is brilliant. It's awesome. No, you're not sharing this with everybody. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and Kaleem, he said, <laughs> It's so funny looking back. Uh, he said, if you share this with everybody next week, you're done in this organization. I said, what are you talking about? This is awesome. He said, I'd said it's awesome, but people aren't ready for it yet. You don't have the relational credibility yet. And you're just going to look like some smart aleck. That's not the word he used. Uh, you know, telling everybody they're dumb and they need to do this. Right. And that's not going to be effective. You got to learn how to build relationships first then bring this to the table let's do that and in three four five six months you're new give it a little bit of time then we'll share it with everyone yep. and of course he's absolutely right yeah but that that lesson in patience for me oh my goodness you yeah. i had thought about that in a long time you just reminded me of that <laughs> so funny thank you jim all right let's move to uh talent expression um, tell us what that is. And then you had some interesting observations in this one. So as a leader, when we're talking about expressing our talents, talent expression, what is that all about? Really, that's about letting people know what you can do. And that, that, that can be a bit tricky because if you don't do it in the right way, it can be perceived as, as bragging, sort of tooting your own horn and no one likes that. Um, but if, but if you do something well, right. Um, the organization can't get the benefit of your skill set if they don't know that you have that particular um, particular skill set. 
So an, ex an example that um, happened with, um, with me, one of many, was we had an individual in the organization who was trying to do sort of voiceover talent. And this person was a technical writer. So you wouldn't think technical writers do, doing voice, voiceover talent. But this is what she did in her, in her free time. And so we're in a one-on-one -on -one session, just having general conversations, and she brought it up. I said, well, well, you do that? I didn't realize you did that. You know, hey, in our, in our, uh, in our uh, Boston office, okay, we're trying to do some voiceover talent. We're having trouble finding people who, who can sort of read the script and do it in a way that makes sense because they don't understand sort of where to emphasize words and things like that, you know, how you know, certain things are more important than others. But you know that because you work in this particular organization. Can you do this for us? She said, I would love to, right? So she ended up um, you know, doing it for us. It saved us a boatload of money, <laughs> number one. Um, she was happier because she was able to do more of the things that she loved, she loved to do. Another example, we hired a gentleman into the organization. And again, I was running learning teams. And this person, you know, his background wasn't in learning development, but he had some good, um, you know, he had some good base skills. We, we thought he would, he would do well. And in one of my skip level meetings, he, he shared with me how um, his long-term goal was not to be in the training and development space. He wanted to go in the business space, in our derivatives business, um, actually. Um, he had done some derivatives training, uh, excuse me, derivatives work on the, on the side and was pretty freaking good at it. Uh, there, was just, there were just no jobs there. So we said, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So what I, what I said was, listen, you know, I speak with the head of that business all the time. And so one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to let him know that you have this skill set that we, you know, in the event he needs somebody. Um, number two, I'm going to put you on the team the learning team that supports that line of business, <laughs> okay? So a few things happened. One, he was happier because he was doing more stuff that was uh, aligned with the business that he wanted, wanted to learn and that he was, you know, had a talent for. Um, it was helping us out because he was developing the training, he was learning, and a funny thing happened. So about, maybe about a year later, uh, the head of that business came to me and said, hey, listen, we, we have a, an open position. I know you said that um, Lue was the guy's name, uh, Way was interested in it. If you want to move him over, we, we can do that. So went to Louie's uh, cubicle. Hey, why don't you come talk to me? We went back to my office. Hey, listen, I got a great opportunity for you. Here's what you shared with me you wanted uh, to do. So there's a position open. He said, no way. I'm staying here. I love what I'm doing. I'm able to do the training stuff. And I'm able to do the derivative stuff that I, lo that I love also. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, expressing your talent, letting people know what you, what you do well. Um, can work out. Now, conversely. Can, can I pause just one moment there? Because I do want to hear the conversely, because I think I know where you're going. But just want to capture something there for our listeners, which is that you were an incredible sponsor in, you know, and it's one of those words that gets thrown around in corporate America. Oh, we need mentors, we need sponsors. But as a leader, you're listening, thinking, okay, I got the whole sponsor, but what does that mean? It means to do exactly what Kaleem just described, right? Somebody identified some some interests, some talents, some things that they're, and now he's on the lookout for where can I represent that person and, the, and that matches the business interest, back to that question, of the organization and speaking up and making those connections. And what an incredible value 
you can be for your people when you show up like a sponsor for them in those capacities. So just wanted to highlight that. Uh, again, I know that wasn't where you were, the reason you were sharing that, but it's a beautiful leadership moment that I know we can all learn from. Okay, conversely. Yeah, so so conversely, I had a um, uh, very talented woman that, that ended up working for me, but the, the, the background is uh, we, we were both trying to get the same job. So, um, we were both direct reports to the um, to the VP of the organization. Um, they were looking for who was going to be next, and we were we were sort of going at it to who was going to be the boss, and 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 I went out, and I said, "Well, I got to you know." Now my job is to is to help her. I'm not a competitor. <laughs> I'm not a teammate. My, my job is to help her. One of the smartest women I know. Her area of opportunity was that she let everyone know just how smart she, she was and what she, she can do. And she was turning a lot of people off, mm. right? So I had to figure out, well, you know, we were sort of competitors for the position. Now she works for me. Now, how do I, how do I point this out to her and help her get past it? And, you know, we just had to have a frank conversation. I said, listen, a lot of times you are the smartest person in the room. You are. You're really good at it. I said, but the way you're presenting it is turning people off. So I said, why don't we do this? So what we agreed to was when we were in meetings together, I, we had a little sign up, I would grab my ear and twist it, twist my earlobe. And that was my signal to her, you're doing it. Dial it down. And then after the meetings, we would debrief. And I would let her know, here's how I know this was happening. I would let her know how the body language of, of other, other folks in the meeting that I could tell from their body language that they would be they were being uh, turned off. And over time in our one-on-one -on -one sessions, we worked on, on strategies for her to let everyone know how good she was and how talented she was, but to do it in a way that it could be received. Mm, beautiful. You know, and that, Great. that is one of my most proudest um, leadership um, moments because again, we uh, me and this young woman, we had, you know, we had sort of a, a you know an adversarial relationship. Um, in the beginning. And she became one of my most loyal um, uh, direct reports. And I remember one time she was out on, um, on maternity leave and her team was very loyal to her. And um, we were doing some, some reorganization and she called me. She said, hey, Kaleem, I know I'm on leave and I know you're doing some reorganization. She said, but, uh, and you know my team is loyal to me. She said, I want to come in to the meeting so that my team knows that I support what you're doing. Mm. And they don't think that, hey, this is happening because, you know, I'm not gonna say, because, you know, I'm on, I'm on leave and now suddenly all this reorganization is, is taking place. I want them to know that mm. I support them. So she came in wow. while she was on, on returning leave and had all my direct reports. We announced to the organization about the reorg and, and she said, you know, and she said, you know, publicly, hey, I totally support this. It's the right, it's, it's the right thing to do and it's better for everybody. And, you know, I cherish, uh, that relationship because we went from a really bad relationship to, to, a, to a great relationship. So powerful. And, you know, we're not talking about this particular principle, but the uh, uh, doing your best, the best performance of duty, and then uh, the value of character in terms of doing what's right, regardless. And, and both of those, along with this expression of talent, like all show up in this relationship, the, that, that you took the time and had the courage yourself to say, okay, this is adversarial, we are buttonheads, but my job as a leader is to help her grow. Even if she didn't receive it well, you still 
gave it a shot. And the fact that you cared enough about her to share that truth and, and obviously had the relational credibility uh, to be believable made her uh, confirmed for her that that you cared about her and her success. And, you know, just seeing how that translates into the loyalty and the relationship down the road, you can't buy that and you can't shortcut your way to it. But that's that's key. That's key. I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off. That, that's really key. So it's, it's not a magic button. It's not a magic, but not a leadership pill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to speak, where you just flip a switch and suddenly, you know, the relationship goes from bad to good, or you have no trust to, you know, to, to total, total trust. Um, it happens over time. Um, and it's not one thing. It's, it's, it's a lot of little things. And I, I have a, a, a little sign on my door a lot, capital A, uh, capital L, capital O, small T, to know a lot of little things, a small T. <laughs> ah, nice. Brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it is. It's the, the day in day. It's all the small little micro, we call micro transactions that you're having with people and, that are building or taking down those relationships and your credibility uh, and influence. Wow. Kaleem, this is just beautiful. I'm enjoying our conversation so much. Talking with Dr. Kalima Islam, we're talking about his book, The 12-Inch Rule, uh, and we, we have scratched the surface, but I think you get a sense of the depth of experience, practical business application, uh, and I would say hope that comes in this book. And I, when I say hope, what I mean is the belief that business success is possible. We're in a, a cynical world these days, and uh, there is so much practical values focused, um, but from a very a place that you're going to feel good about how you're leading yeah. uh, and get the business results. It's just beautiful. So I appreciate you sharing this with us. I, I want to come back to talent expression because there's something you say in that section that I think is really important. So and, and you shared with us some examples of like oversharing and and how to be careful about how we're communicating our talents and sharing what we have available. And then you reference something I think is really important. You said that when people grow up without a, a great support system or culturally community wise, you know, like that's not valued or, or however it works. However, we get there, people can feel insecure about their talents. And, and I know that for myself, I have been there and I have known other people who have been there. And I think that's an important point that you bring out in, in the book. So can you tell us a little bit about what happens there and what your recommendations are for leaders who find themselves struggling with that? Yeah, so, so I'm a big believer in strength-based, um, strength-based leadership. Uh, I don't know if you ever uh, read, the, read the book, but the, the background is, or the, you know, the, the, the belief is that by the time you're about six, seven years old, what you're good at is what you're good at. You have some natural natural talents that you have and you have some things that you're just naturally not good at. Now, typically when we do these 360 degree surveys, you know, you, you take a look at it and no one pays attention to the good stuff that you, that you do. <laughs> the only thing you focus on is the bad stuff, right? And then you spend the whole year trying to get better at the, at the bad stuff. And I would argue that a lot of times you're focusing so much on the stuff that you don't do good that you're not naturally, probably not naturally good at, that the things that you're good at, since you're not doing as many of those, you get worse at that. So the net is you're really not focused, you're not doing as well, right? Overall, your performance overall is not as good, right? So, so I believe you should really focus on what you, what you do well, 
let's understand that. Let's understand that. And then let's put people in a position to do what they do well most of the time. Now you got to support them, but there's got to be some, some level of competency, you know, across every, you know, all the uh, um, functions of a leader it has to be some level of competency. Um, but let's put you in a position where you do well. So what I did with my teams was I would have all of us do the uh, strength-based leadership survey, right? And we would share our results <laughs> with everyone. Okay, so everyone knew what someone else was good at. And what happened after that, now my direct reports, what they would do, they would understand, okay, I'm not good at this, but I know that hey, Jean over there, she's really, really good at that. How do I know it? Because we did this strength-based leadership. You now she expressed, which in some ways helped to express which, what talents she had. So when I need help with this, I'll go there. That same um, woman who I once had an adversarial relationship with, she had tremendous attention to detail. She was great at that. I'm not good at that. I'm more of a sort of strategy, big picture, big picture kind of guy, right? So I understood that. Right? So I would take her to meetings with her and we had a conversation. Hey, listen, you do this well, okay? So what I'd like you to do is to leverage that, right? So two things happened. One is I got short up in terms of my attention to detail because she would be on board with that. And she got corporate exposure. So she was going to meetings with me and my boss, uh, you know, or me and my boss's boss. And she was in meetings that she would, wouldn't normally be in because, you know, we were able to uh, quell out or express what her talent was. So it was a win-win situation. Great example. As we're thinking through when, how can, how can I phrase it? If I'm feeling insecure about my, okay, they were, I've got them since I was six, seven years old. And like, I kind of know what I'm good at, but I find it hard to speak up and say, you know, I think I'd like to do this, or I have this in me. And, and sometimes it's as simple as raising your hand. I know I got a great opportunity one time in my career, but it, I sat there for 45 minutes debating whether or not I should raise my hand. Yeah. Right. Well, of course I should have raised my hand. Why did it take me 45 minutes of insecurity and back and forth in myself before I do that? So if somebody's wrestling with those types of things and they're not oversharing, they're undersharing, any advice there? Well, you know, it depends on the situation, right? So again, with, with my direct reports, you know, each of them, we would, we, would, we would work together. We develop a relationship where, again, we would pretty much coach each other. Mm -hmm. So, so again, with that young lady, you know, it was the twisting of the air was, was my signal to her that to tone it down, we did something similar, the opposite way. If they weren't speaking up, you know, uh, it, it might be body language. It might be, Hey, you know, being that I knew their talent, Hey, Roger, you know, you've got a background in that, you know, why don't you share, or, Hey, you've been working on this. Why don't you share what, what you've done? So as, as a leader, Understanding the talent that my uh, the members of my team have, sort of sort of uh, encouraging them, so to speak, or coaching them to to speak up, right? And then you know also you know there's goal setting and things like that. So in, in our goal setting sessions, we would uh, have conversations about you know ways to um, um, uh, to, to have them work on those things. Fantastic. So as a leader, be looking for those those moments and those opportunities with your team, and then for yourself. Part of what I'm hearing is it's about the relationships that you're building and the opportunities that you're giving other people to speak into your leadership and to see some of the strengths that you have that maybe 
they can encourage you. I know you were mentioning before we uh, were, were recording about your book and that as you're writing it, you had some friends whose opinion you trusted deeply oh, who said, okay. hey, listen, you have something here. This is a strength that you need to share with the world. And so the ability to gain security and, and actually work out of our own abilities and strengths also comes from some of the relationships and connections that we're building in the world. So another place to invest. All right, we have just, gosh, we are very close to the end of time here. And I would love if we could to fast forward. Uh, we've talked about a number of the different principles, but to the final one, which is the dignity of simplicity. And I just want to quote from, you've got an opening epigraph here from Ernest Flagg. And just quoting from this, he says, a, a quiet air of reserved power is characteristic of dignity. And that is best obtained by simple means and the absence of apparent effort. Simplicity is the mark of genius. And as I think about leadership in our world today, I don't know if there's a better human-centered note to not sacrifice our humanity or lose our mind that we can talk about than the dignity of simplicity. Yeah, I, I, I would say that another way of saying it is a level of maturity. There are a lot of people who want to show how smart they are by using, you know, $25 words and um, um, highlighting their, their accolades and trying to show how smart they are. But, you know, my, my experience has, has been by keeping things simple, by ensuring that I'm going to speak to you in a way that will ensure that you get it, a simple message. So just having the dignity to speak in simple, in simple terms and simple communicating in simple ways, simple, uh, simple language to ensure that people get what you're trying to get across, right? Um, and that they can hear it and they can accept it, right? Th there's dignity in that. And I, I think sort of the greatest leaders, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, who's, you know, someone who um, I admire his ability to communicate, spoke in simple, plain language. And, you know, uh, you know, a lot of folks believe that he was one of the great leaders. They call him the great communicator. And I think that's probably why, because, you know, he, he was able to do, to do that. So it, it's, there's another book, it, uh, We is Smarter Than Me. And, and what they speak about is, you know, it's not important that you're in the forefront, that, that, um, that you show how smart you are, how much you know, or how, how great you are, that there's a level of dignity that comes um, with ensuring or communicating in a way that um, people get it and that they feel good about, good about themselves. And I think, you know, in the book, when we did the interviews, we couldn't come to consensus about which one of these principles is the most important, right? Uh, they're all important, but time value, <laughs> you know, the first one and the dignity of, of simplicity were the ones that kept coming up over and over again. Mm. There is so much there, the dignity, uh, the self-respect that it takes to not, you, you know, speak in, in grandiose terms that aren't going to communicate. And then the dignity and respect you're showing for other people by communicating in a way that's going to be meaningful and influential for them. Uh, th it's a beautiful, beautiful section. I just so appreciate the, the sentiment and the practical way of approaching these things. We can all do this. Yeah. Everyone yeah. listening, we can do this. And, you know, uh, speaking of the value of time, time value, that was the first principle. We didn't touch on that one. 
but valuing time. So I have to wrap it up or I'm going to exceed my time. And <laughs> self, selfishly, I can go a long while, uh, Colleen. Thank you so much. Your final thought for listeners as they're thinking about the, the 12 behaviors, implementing the 12-inch rule in their life and their leadership. Yeah. So so I would say don't try to do them all, right? So what, what, I, what I would say is, and we actually have a, a, a workbook you know, if, if folks decide they, they're interested in, in purchasing the book, there's a work they can uh, also get. And we take you through, you know, a, basically an assessment of where you are with each of the principles. And then we ask them to pick, pick three, okay? Um, in the book, we have some leadership behaviors associated with each of the, uh, the principles. So let's look at your top three. Let's look at the leadership behaviors associated with the, the, those top three. Okay, and work on one for the first month, and then work on the second for the second month, and don't and work on the third for the third month. But don't don't try to do it do it all. But I would say identify the ones where you need the most help by uh, going through that score scoring system, and you know, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. It, it's mind boggling, right? How much of a difference you can make as a leader if you use what I call a values based approach, and 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 I think that the, the twelve inch rule these principles really help you do that. Fantastic. Dr. Kaleem Islam, thank you so much for being with us. I want to make sure people know where to find you, where to find the book. And we'll put all these links in the show notes, but go ahead and give those to us as well here. Sure, ab absolutely. So you can go to uh, the trainingproacademy.com uh, to get information on the book or to, to purchase it, you know, if you're interested. And also if you're interested in, you know, reading some of the other stuff that I've done, you can go to uh, Dr. Kaleem A. Islam dot com and, and i would yeah. i would encourage you to do that as well there are so many videos there we didn't even touch scratch the surface of all the fun things and and moments of wisdom that uh, kaleem has to share with you thank you again for being a guest with us and sharing generously sharing so much about your own experience and some of the vulnerability of your own transformative leadership moments and uh, how we can tap into those and just encourage you listening i know he said yeah if you decide to get the book I'm telling you, you need to get this book. The 12 inch rule. There is so much here. I can't emphasize it enough. There's the meat of the business application. There's the hope of the human centered values that, that Kalima shared with us today. And again, we've only scratched the surface. So get it. Take the assessment, trainingproacademy.com. Take the assessment. Find out what one or two or three that you want to focus on. Choose one. Focus on that principle for a month and you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.